Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Hello, and welcome to CONTACTS podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Kleinman. Welcome back to Contacts. We are here today with Mario Warren, head football coach at the University of Southern Utah. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Climo. Hey, take us through your background as a coach. How did you end up coaching? How did you end up in Utah? How did you transition into being the head coach? What's your journey, and can you inform us of how that's gone? Yeah, I think a lot of it all starts with with setbacks in my life. For some reason, that's kind of how everything starts. I hurt my knee my last year of playing basketball down at Fairfield High. Coach Eddie Wilson, and, and he conned me into to coming back and, and help coach. So I, I gray shirt at UC Davis. So I had to get surgery in July. I wasn't ready to come into camp. And so I didn't start till January. And Coach Wilson was like, hey, just come out, help me out until you start school. And so did that. He liked what I was doing and asked me to stick around in January. And so I gave him the whole season. And then I caught the bug. And so I wanted to help out Coach Wilson did a great job just making the coaching profession seem like something you could be great at. Not just having great players, but if you plan well, if you prepare well, if you have a structure the right way, then you can have success. And so being able to go through a lot of different basketball coaches, football coaches throughout my time in high school, I saw a difference in it. And it was fun to be able to be a part of something where you can see growth in young men, but also keep that competitive level personally and trying to figure out ways how you can manipulate games and, and, and things like that. So it was a great experience. Went to Davis my whole time there. I was coaching basketball with Coach Wilson. I thought I was going to be a high school head coach basketball, and I, I was excited about that. And that's where we were at. And so my junior year of, of high school, or sorry, my junior year of college, history repeated itself. Hurt my knee again, the same knee. It was going to be my year. I was finally starting at running back after starting my freshman year because everybody got injured. So I had a great freshman year, didn't play my sophomore year. So learned a lot of lessons in that. And so finally, here's my time to shine. And, and boom, a week before the game, my knee goes out. And again, I had two freshmen behind me. So another great opportunity. And I don't think I would have had that mindset if it wasn't for my sophomore year, not playing healthy as can be uh, after winning a championship our freshman year. And, and I was just miserable. Uh, sitting behind guys that obviously for an athlete, you always feel like you're better than the people in front of you. And so um, sitting behind those guys and just not enjoying football, 
played sports my whole life, enjoyed every year. And that was the first year I, I felt like it just wasn't fun. And so I realized it was me, none of the coaches, nobody else. It was just my mindset. When I went down my junior year, my mindset had changed. And so I was glad I, I had that experience because I was able to help those young guys just be able to do what they can do in, in the offense as a true freshman. Rich Gangarello, coach for the Niners, was the OC for the Broncos last year. And I was with the Eagles. He actually was going to come here to Southern Utah to be the OC. And so he called me up. Um, asked me if I was willing to come be a GA slash running back coach and we get paid $10,000. So I remember it was December 22nd. I was shopping at the, the outlets down in Vacaville and called my wife up and or my girlfriend at the time and was like, hey, what do you think about moving to Southern Utah? And she was like, where is that? <laughs> and I was like, it was that place where we played at last year and it was freezing cold and it was windy. And I told you, I'd never want to go back to that place. Yeah, that spot. And she hated her job so much. She didn't care. We thought $10,000 was a lot of money and we would figure it out. So we got the opportunity here. Skane calls me back three days later, tells me he's not coming. I don't know if you got a job. <laughs> so he ends up staying at Davis for another year uh, before he takes off with his career. But Coach Lamb was a man of his word and kept me on and ended up being crazy. Three months later, I had to go take 21 units at Davis and some JCs around just to graduate and get the job. And then Lamb calls me in February because a coach left Dave Aranda, which is now the head coach at Baylor, was our DC for two, three weeks. He leaves. They can't find a replacement. They're looking for a minority to coach DBs, but nobody wants to come to Southern Utah. So he's like, look we got a full-time job. Do you want it? And I was like, coach, I have no idea what I'm doing coaching defense. I played running back, but I promise you I'll bust my ass. I'll work my butt off for you. And he gave me opportunity. So it was a great experience. I learned a lot over the course of, I think it was six years, became the DC for two, had some great defenses or had one great defense in, in 15 and I got the opportunity to be a head coach five years ago. So that's a crazy story, but I've been surrounded by some great men like Coach Wilson, Coach Biggs, Coach Lamb, and Coach Skang. And so very fortunate to be where I'm at. Fascinating story. And I'd like to highlight a few of those things in regards to being at the right place at the right time, being willing to try things that you knew you weren't necessarily ready for, but owning that right off the bat and asking for mentorship thinking you were going to coach basketball and ending up coaching football and being willing to dive into somewhere that wasn't necessarily the most comfortable place in the world, somewhere that you'd already been and didn't necessarily love. And now 13 years later, here we are. When you said that I've been an offensive player my whole life and now you want me to coach defense, there were clearly things that you didn't know. And as an assistant, that's probably often and you're always looking for mentorship. And at the same time, you think you have a lot of good ideas and probably being an offensive guy, you had ideas of how they try to stop you. So you could probably implement those. But what were the things both as an assistant coach and once you became the head coach primarily that you realized very quickly that you didn't know? As a defensive coach, I didn't know anything. I was, they were talking about spill and lever and four eyes. And I was like, what are we, it was speaking Spanish. I mean, the first spring ball, we had meetings at six in the morning. I was probably going to bed at two in the morning just to study what the heck was going on, just so I can understand the conversations that were happening in the rooms. And so I think learning all that was hard. As a head coach, there's so much, especially at the college level, that you're not prepared for. L luckily, Coach Lamb gave me a lot of different responsibilities. I was a recruiting coordinator at one point, the academic coordinator. He gave me scholarships. So there was a lot I knew, but 
the challenge being a young head coach, to be honest, was just managing men. When you're the defensive coordinator, I feel like it's a lot more collaborative. I've worked with those guys for so long. It was easy to transition into being a coordinator. But when you're a head coach, you got a whole staff that's looking for you to give them the same thing that the players are looking for, a discipline, a direction. I mean, the direction has never been an issue, but just when you're working with guys that you grew up with in the profession, it's difficult because they're your friends or the guys that you hang out with. I remember I moved to Cedar City with no friends. So obviously the people I spend the most time with were the only people that I really knew. And so now all of a sudden I'm the boss and it was hard. And to be honest, it was even harder once we had success. And I think that's one thing that you're going to have to learn when you have success early is that everybody, especially when you're at a lower level, everybody wants a piece of the pie and everybody wants to get their due, which they should, because they all did a great job. But I wish I knew that going into those next couple of years, because the motivation doesn't stop once you win. It actually gets a lot harder and for coaches more than players. What advice would you give or, or how would you reflect on that transition from being a peer to being a boss. And I use that word loosely, but you're the supervisor, right? You're the, the director of the football program. You report to the athletic director. He reports to somebody or she reports to somebody. And now your peers, your colleagues, your co-coaches, you're in a different role. How did that affect the relationship? How did you navigate that as a leader? And what lessons did you learn? Again, I think you just have to plan out things. I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I worked with everybody so closely to get the job. That also made it hard. But the one thing you, you got to know what you're doing. You got to give great direction. Uh, let guys know what you expect from them. Let people know the rules and the, the conflict resolutions, how we're going to do things on a day-to-day -day basis, what you're looking for. And to be honest, that was probably the part that I didn't do. I, I didn't do the best. I had general rules of what I wanted, but I wasn't as detailed as I probably should have been. These are all your roles. This is exactly what I need you to do. This is how I want you to get it done. And early on, I wasn't that detailed in that aspect. And as far as the peer-to-peer -peer relationships, it gets lonely. At the end of the day, you don't feel like you should be around the guys in social settings as much because now they can't let loose. They know that you might be judging them or looking at them in, in certain ways. And so it's been hard. I, I, I can only be me. And I think everybody has to take that role. I'm not a stoic person. I'm not just going to sit there and, and be little people and, and yell at them. That's just not me. So I had to use my personality. I am cheerful. I am trying to be positive all the time. You got to be yourself. So there's not a great answer for that because I still work with a lot of these guys and they still are my friends, but at the end of the day, I think now I've had to let some people go. <laughs> I think the, the line has been drawn more forced than me actually setting a plan and, and executing it. But I think you learned from that. And I think you did name some things. You need to be disciplined. You need to have clear expectations, directives, and empower them to go execute that and then hold them accountable in the same way that you would your athletes. And I think to your point, that separation of role becomes a little complex because as the boss, you're wearing a hat and what used to be a suggestion now feels like a directive to people that are your direct reports. And navigating that is always a challenge as I've learned in this job. What would you say is the best thing you guys do in your program that has the largest ripple effect on your culture? I think it is having a defined culture and continuously teaching it to everyone. When I first started, I had 11 United uh, was our deal. And each letter stood for something uncommon, no BCD, intentional trust, effort, and discipline. And we talk about it a lot over and over and over again. And, and I 
talk to our coaches about giving these guys tools and values to make sure that they're successful after college, which whatever they're going to do. We got guys that go to the NFL, but those are probably 5% of our team on a year to year basis. We have a culture, we talk about it and, and we try to drive home those lessons and not only those, but some different tools like compound interest, how to write a check, just <laughs> things that shows that you care about somebody. When we talk about effort, we say effort is, is the measure of how much you care. If you're not giving us effort, then you just don't care. And that's individually and as a team. And so those are things that we just hammer home. And I think intentional is my favorite one because we hammer home so much just about you wake up with the purpose. You go to bed with the plan and you execute that plan the next day. And so if you're doing everything intentional, I should never ask you a question. You say, I don't know why, coach. That's not a great answer in our program. And so, again, it's just having one culture and then making sure it's implemented in the right way. Love that. And you mentioned no BCD, which I would imagine you gleaned from other programs and other situations. What have you learned watching other teams and exploring what they do, be it football programs or basketball or softball or anything? I love watching coaches. I'm always watching. That could be games on TV. It could be watching Little League soccer. Your eyes just go to the, the coach and you can, oh yeah, he's pissed right now or Oh, he's in a tough spot because of the situation. I study as much as I can at everything. The no BCD was from Urban Myers program. I've worked at Ohio State. I've been a part of some great programs. I think Coach Wilson at Fairfield has given me that planning, just how to plan, how to be detailed about everything. He was sending me to go scout in, in high school for playoff games. And, and the amount of detail that it takes to set a plan is huge. And Coach Biggs was the person that cared for me outside of football. I had a kid at 19 and my mom was a single mother at 15. I was going to drop out. I was going to just start to support my family because I didn't have my dad around and I didn't want to be not supportive to my family. And Coach Biggs and my mom and some other people, but Coach Biggs was the one that said, hey, you can do this. Whatever goals you and Amanda have. I've met both of you guys. You guys got your head on your shoulders. You can do everything that you want to do. And being a head coach at 30 was not in the plans, but if it wasn't for that conversation, I don't think I would have had that opportunity. And so I think I've been fortunate to be around a lot of people. Coach Lamb uh, ran this program for the first eight years I was here. And he was another person that wanted to do things the right way and wanted to work hard. He, he always had a shirt that had no bad days on it. He also had a shirt that says piss excellence, but that was a different story. <laughs> I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate to see some programs up close. I wish maybe one thing I would regret is being around more great programs so I could learn more. But nowadays with the books and really audio books, because reading puts me to sleep, I'm able to read a lot more or listen a lot more and just steal ideas from other people that have success. The guy at Villanova is awesome. And, and I think he teaches some great lessons. And, and so I just try to, learn as much as I can from those guys. Love that it's not provincial to football, that you're looking outside the box, you're trying to figure out different ways to have an impact, and especially with your athletes and your staff, and it's not just X's and O's and how do I run this play, but how do I add to our culture, teach these lessons that they can carry over. And the fact that you got that through your experience and all your coaches have poured into you as a person and not just an athlete. And I think that's really the takeaway. How has your approach to coaching changed throughout your career? How have you evolved? 
I think when I first was there, when I first got into coaching, I, I didn't know much. So it was more, I just need to bring energy every day. And that's still important. You got to bring energy. You got to be the young coach and, and make sure your guys are flying around and doing the right things, making sure they're going to class. You're just so paranoid as a young coach. You don't screw up anything. Now it's more of just trying to be the best you can be every day and, and try to find ways to get better. I think, I think that's one thing that I hope that keeps me going to try to never be satisfied with learning new things and continue to grow on it. I think as I got set in my ways, it was like, all right, this is how you play defense. This is the only way I play defense. But in this profession, I understand things are going to change. All of a sudden, all the spread offenses are in and, and now people are starting to motion and now we're getting back to big sets. It just all goes in cycles. You got to find a way to keep things fresh for you and the players and the coaches because if you don't, you'll get burned out. You, you coach a lot of hours and so you want to make sure things are fresh, but also continue just to grow. I think the one thing that, that I tell all young coaches, you got to set a plan, not only goals, but how are you going to achieve those goals? So I remember as a coordinator, one of my goals was to be the head coach, our, our FBS position coach. It was one or the other, but it was the weekly and monthly task list that I gave myself. It was reading uh, a book a month. It was reaching out to connections twice a month. It was spending two hours on the scheme a week. It was just to make sure that I was uh, going through the progress because I had to be real myself because if, if I give myself all these tasks, daily, weekly, monthly, and I'm not doing it, then I'm full of crap. That's not a real goal for myself. These are the things I think that's going to help me get there. And if I don't do those tasks, then I don't deserve the opportunity to get there. And so I was able to do that for many years and still try to do that now, set tasks to reach the goals that I'm trying to get to. Goals without a plan are just wishes or dreams. And so to be able at a young age to figure that piece out, to execute the plan, accomplish your goals, and continue to set them versus resting on your laurels has probably allowed you as a program and as an individual to find a success while you're there. What would you offer in regards to learning how to acclimate to a new situation. And I ask this because going from Fairfield, California to Southern Utah was probably a little bit of culture shock. What would you offer in regards to how to make that transition in hindsight as people maybe don't want to take a job because of the risk uh, involved? I'm a boring person. It's my family. And as long as I got them, I'm, I'm really good at my work. I work a lot. <laughs> so when you work as much as we do and you have your family close to you, I can live anywhere. I can live in Cedar City, California, Texas. doesn't matter because I don't really don't spend much time outside the office and in the house. But I guess the advice would say is if you want something, if you want to reach your goals, you might have to take risks. And you might have to go places that you don't feel comfortable positions you don't feel comfortable with and pay that you think you might deserve more. It's all about responsibility. What responsibilities are you getting? Are you going to get the opportunity to grow in your career? If you get the opportunities, then, then the money is secondary. And as long as you can continue to grow in your profession and not have to worry about money, then you got to take the chance. And if you're single and you don't have a family, you got to go. As long as you can stay single <laughs> and continue to, to go in this profession, the better chance you get to meet more coaches, you get to learn different things, and you can just grind as much as you want to, to be the best coach you can become. So I just encourage people to take those risks. Coach Scangarella is a great example of that. He 
was at Davis, but has been to Millsaps in Mississippi. He's been to Wagner in New York. He's been with the Atlanta Falcons. He's been with the Niners, the Broncos, the Eagles. So he's been all over the place. And that's because he knows a lot of people and he was able to experience and learn from different people. So take the opportunity. Don't shy away from it if you get a chance to grow. And it doesn't matter where it's at. So let's talk about that for a second. He knows a lot of people. How have you continued as you grew into a head coach to maintain or grow your network, both as a professional and in search of mentorship? How have you actively done that? And what advice do you have regarding that? Yeah, this profession, some people that just network and they get jobs off of it. But I think there's a lot of people that, that just want to do quality work where they're at. And that, to me, that's the best way to go is, is to, to, to be the best coach you can be at your job. Because at the end of the day, when, when you get hired from somewhere, it's the assistants that they're going to call or it's the AD or the janitor that works with you. They're not going to call people that never worked with you. And so you're interviewing every single day for everyone around you. You don't know who, who knows. And so that's first and foremost. But as far as networking, I've been able to just volunteer on different committees. I started off with the AFCA Summer Manual Committee. Now I'm on the, the Rules Committee for National with uh, David Shaw as the head of that. And so you, you just start to meet people through those things and you start to build relationships. You try to go study. I've studied at Arizona State with Herm Edwards a couple of times. I think if you approach people and you're genuinely just trying to learn, they're a lot more receptive of you. If you're just reaching out because you want to get a job, then they'll probably forget to call you back or text you back when you call. So I think it's just genuinely trying to find people that is similar to you. If you run a certain scheme or you, you might have read their book and you, you got something that you want to ask a question about. Genuinely try to get some information from people and, and, and find ways to be valuable. There's a running back coach at San Jose State that was at uh, McClyman's High School and was at Contra Costa JC. But every time I went there, as I was a college coach, and he's much older than me, but doesn't mean he's not a better coach than me. I, I went over there and I went to the high school and he did not only have all his stuff situated, he had every recruit from Oakland. And so he made it, he made himself valuable to me. And I'm sure he did with every other coach. And that's why he's in college now is because he found a way to make himself value. What can he do to separate himself from all these other high school coaches that are trying to be in college? And, and he did that. He didn't have the connections. He didn't have, he didn't play at a big university football wise. He made himself valuable and everybody knows coach Doe now. He's a legend. <laughs> well, the key takeaway here is if you work at your craft every day, and you try to be great where you are. I love your quote. You're interviewing every day for your job because you don't know who's watching. And I think there's a lesson in that itself. And when you reach out, it's not transactional. Hey, let me build this relationship. So down the road, you'll give me a job. It's no, I want to learn what you do. And, and you mentioned Herm. Herm's a local guy from here, very connected to our area and has always been extremely gracious with his time and his energy and his availability. And so the fact that you bring that up, and you're in Utah and it's a small world connection. And that's the key, right? Very rarely are you going to find somebody who says, no, I don't want to help you grow as a person because somebody helped them. And so the risk of reaching out or building that network to get better versus to leverage it into something else, I think is the key takeaway there. If you were starting over today, let's do this two ways. Let's say as a 19 year old, when coach Wilson roped you into to, to doing things right away while you were trying to play collegiate football and 
as an older veteran football coach who's now figured out your path and, and where you're going in life, what advice would you have for your younger self? Enjoy the simple times. You always have these goals in mind and you always are trying to strive to be at a higher position and blah, blah, blah. Uh, just enjoy every moment. We had some great times at Fairfield High. I still remember losing to Drew. What the heck is his name? He went to UCLA, then the New Mexico. Drew Gordon, Aaron's Gordon's brother. But remember those times and just try to sit and sit in those moments a little bit more. When you have success, when you're helping a kid out, make sure that you enjoy it because as you get higher up and higher up, the more stress comes, the more, the more wins and the more losses come. And I need to enjoy the wins more. I think I've learned that over the last two years, uh, having two back-to-back -to -back tough seasons. You just always feel like you take the wins for granted and, and the losses you took way too hard. I think before we got on, you, you talked about where you're at in your career. And I, I think it's, it's more about the process. The win, and, and in my profession, I have to win. <laughs> I will get fired. But it doesn't really matter how much you stress about winning because that's not what it comes down to anyway. It is about the process. It is about doing things right because if you can be consistent, you're, you're going to have more wins. And so I, we've been talking to our team this year about I'd rather be consistent than have highlights mm -hmm. because highlights are something that are extraordinary. And if you put that ball in that same spot, that catch that you made, you're going to drop them way more often than you're going to catch them. And so let's just try to put the ball in a place where he can catch it and not create highlights. I'd rather have consistency over highlights. So I would say enjoy the good moments more and just understand that the, the bad moments are just learning experiences. It takes me back to both my conversation with Eddie and with Brandon Laird, who's at Sac State, who said there's beauty and simplicity and the way in which you can focus on the process of doing things and getting better at a small amount of things versus trying to be the most creative individual in the world generally leads to whatever you want to define success as. Guys from our area like Drew Hibbs, who's won multiple state championships as a basketball coach, when you actually go watch and you spend time with him, the things that they do aren't complicated. <laughs> They're just really good at what they do. And so I think that's great advice. And anybody that's getting into this, take that for what it is. And as you've probably learned, you talk to somebody, you go to a clinic, you have this great idea, but does it fit, right? Is it mission appropriate for what you do? And I think that's really the takeaway as a youngster, right? As somebody getting into this profession. Before we go, you mentioned early on how you got into this was through disappointment and your injury and not necessarily getting the path that you had hoped for. And on that idea of failures, but are there any that you can point to that you tried something or you thought something was going to work and through the result of falling down, you were able to learn a great lesson that you can share with us? Yeah, I'm hoping it's right now because <laughs> we are in a setting like that. But there was a couple of things. My first year as a head coach, we had some success. We're playing Weber State at home, our rivals. And we're up, what is it, 22 points with eight minutes and 50, I don't know, 57 seconds left, whatever it was. We're lined up for a field goal and we missed the field goal. And I remember in that moment, I, I told the team this afterwards. I said, I cussed. And then I said, that was the game. Like, that was it. We didn't have to play anymore. We were going to be up 25, four scores with eight minutes and 54 seconds left. Like it's over. It's, it's, it's done. 
And obviously I'm telling the story because they come back <laughs> and they end up beating us. And there was a couple of bad penalties late in the game where we stopped the clock for them just to get, get an opportunity to, to score the last touchdown. And the, the next day, one of my, actually he's my DFO now, he calls me and we have a quote that says, you don't fight because you hate the man in front of you, you fight because you love the people behind you. And so it's in our team manual and also no BCDs in there. And I'm complaining about being up 22 with eight minutes and 54 seconds left because we missed a field goal. And I don't know who heard me or whatever, but again, if you're not living by your culture, uh, how do you expect the people behind you to do that? And so I learned a valuable lesson that whatever we say our culture is and whatever we say our value is, that I need to be the leader and be able to follow that. And we end up being six and five that year and having a good season. But I think that lesson, we had a saying the next year is leave no doubt 854. And no matter what we were doing, we were, we've made them carry kettlebells for eight minutes and 54 seconds and see how far they can do it. But that was the whole thing. And we come back the next season, win the most games in school history. And it was because of some failure. And so again, if it wasn't for my player that got me to think about the quote that was in our team manual, think about just our values and what we're built on. I don't know if we learned that lesson. So there's lessons to be learned in every failure. You might have to dig deeper than the surface, but there, there's some things that you can learn from for sure. Love that. And I think that comes with maturity, right? You being willing and able to take feedback from a player, you being willing and able to look within versus looking outward to figure out what you can control and what you can do to remedy the situation. Coach, thanks for being here today. This has been awesome. Appreciate having you. Looking forward to you guys playing in February and seeing how the season goes. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.